welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with your host and creator of the podcast, Crystal Martinez Acosta. On today's episode, which is part four of four, that's going to wrap up our Mental Health Awareness Month campaign here on the podcast, I am going to be speaking to you about how to find your very own therapist. Sometimes it can be a little bit confusing to find your own mental health professional, but I have created a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide on this episode. So I'm hoping that you will find this particular episode helpful and informative. And remember that seeking therapy is actually a very brave thing to do. And I applaud you if you are ready to take this step. You may opt to search on Google or any other search engine for therapists in my area, therapists in a certain zip code, and these are all great searches. However, they yield tons of results and not a lot of detail about what you need. So I'm going to go through a couple of things that you should be thinking of and that you should consider when you're looking through results to see If these therapists that pop up or these therapy services that come out in your results page are actually a good fit for you. One thing you definitely want to consider as you're searching for a therapist is your wallet. Yeah, so not everyone has insurance. I know that um, since the release of Obamacare, Maybe more people have had access to uh, health insurance, and sometimes mental health services are not covered under uh, certain insurance companies. So you definitely want to look at, if you have insurance, the insurance website and what is covered. Personally, I have Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, and so if I need therapy, one of the things that I do is I go onto the Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas website, and I go into something called the Find a Provider page. Most insurance companies, especially private insurance companies, have these type of online guides. So if you are computer savvy and you have the capability and time to go in to your insurance search engine to find a provider, this might help you narrow down some of your options. For example, if you go under the menu that says behavioral health or mental health services, you might be able to find certain providers that are covered under that particular insurance. I know that many private insurances have this type of search engine base, and so this is a good place to get started, especially If you want to start by saving money and you want to start by looking somewhere that will, you know, only have you pay a copay, which could be anywhere from $10, $15, $25, and some of the higher ones um, can be somewhere around $75 to $95. However, this might still be way less expensive than the actual cost of the therapist's fee per hour. If you happen to have CHIP, which is a children's type of Medicaid, uh, Molina Healthcare, these are things that are available for us here in Texas, but the equivalent would be something like Medicaid. So Medicaid usually has a 1-800 number that you can call where somebody who is trained to look for providers for you over the phone will assist you in finding mental health services that are covered under your insurance. Most of the time, people who have Medicare or Medicaid 
have a very small or nominal fee when it comes to mental health providers, such as therapists. Um, Psychiatrists and psychologists might be a different story. Uh, Most of the time, nonprofit agencies will take Medicaid and Medicare. And if the provider that you want to see doesn't take your insurance, you may want to ask them at the office if they have something called a sliding fee scale. So a sliding fee scale is something where a therapist takes into consideration the amount of income you have per year. Based on your yearly income, what they'll do is they'll typically create a percentage Um, that creates a nominal fee that you would pay. So for example, where I work, it's a nonprofit agency here locally. We understand that most people don't have insurances. We also treat people who come from Mexico or have undocumented status here in the United States and don't have any access to insurance. So we don't want to turn people away just because of their inability to pay. So sometimes we do have to put them on a sliding scale. This can be anywhere from $0, $5, $10, or $15 a session if they are below the poverty line. Uh, These nominal fees can can be helpful to families, especially if they don't really necessarily have a health care budget for themselves. So you may want to ask about something called a sliding fee scale if you don't have any insurance or if that provider doesn't take your type of insurance. Something that is also available mostly at not-for-profit facilities or not-for-profit mental health clinics are something called grants. So grants are funds or monies given to us or rewarded to us by either the federal government, the state government, or even private funders who have some sort of interest and means to give us money for these services. And so sometimes they actually cover 100% of the visits for people. And there are certain criteria that each of these grants have. So for example, some nonprofits I know in the city are uh, have uh, grant collaborations with certain school districts. So if your child needs therapy, and you don't have insurance coverage for them, or that provider doesn't take your child's current form of insurance, you may want to ask them about grant collaborations where maybe 100% or some percentage of the treatment will be covered by that grant just because they are in a certain school district. So there are different criteria, and mostly the people who deal with billing at the nonprofit agencies will know more about these grants and what you qualify for. So just because you can't afford it or you can't pay doesn't mean that there is absolutely no other way to get services. And so that's the time where you need to advocate for yourself, right? And it might seem a little intimidating because you're like, okay, I'm finally coming to therapy and now they don't take my insurance. Just great. I'm going to give up now. No, no, no. Don't give up. Just talk to the billing coordinator or whoever else is in charge of billing. And if you really, really need treatment, most of the time, especially at nonprofit agencies, they're pretty good about letting you know if there are any grants available for these services. So to recap, something that you want to consider is insurance, the amount of the copay, if you even have insurance, or if your provider accepts your insurance, sliding scales, and grants at nonprofit agencies. 
The next thing you may want to consider is the proximity to your home. I understand that not everybody lives in a city like we do here in El Paso, Texas. I would say that going from the east side to the west side of the city is about mm, 30, 35 miles. So it can take half an hour to 40 minutes to get from one side of the city to the other, depending on the traffic, right? And if there are any freeway closures, because that's going on right now too. But a lot of people don't have their own form of transportation, or they have to walk, or maybe they would like to see their therapist while they're at work and then they have to return to work and that is not necessarily close to their home. This could be important just depending on your transportation issues or your capabilities. And so one thing that I would advise is to ask your therapist whenever you go for the first session how many times a week or how many times a month they're wanting to see you. So this is where it could be important because if your therapist is like, well, I only want to see you once every two weeks. If you feel like you can afford a trip from one part of town to another once every two weeks and it's not going to be a big deal, then maybe geographical location isn't necessarily, you know, a deal breaker for you. But some people who have to depend on others for transportation, this might be an issue. So let's say, for example, your therapist says, you know, your problem is something that I need to monitor a little bit more. And I'd like to see you once a week or even twice a week, just depending on the severity of the issue, then this is where this could also come into play. So just making sure how often you will have to see your therapist. Also, there are some therapists that have several offices around town. So they may do your intake or your initial evaluation at a certain location or they may allow you to travel to different locations depending on the day of your appointment. And if this is a real big problem for you, you can consider online therapy. So, so far we've covered cost and geographical location and different options for each one. Now, another critical point that I think maybe should have been the first point on this podcast. Well, it's a little too late for that now, but um, this is something that I feel is really important. And I think it's because I'm a licensed professional and maybe I'm just a little picky about it now that I've become licensed because I know what it takes to maintain licensure and to maintain all of my credentials. So something that you want to consider is the person's credentials and title and type of license. So I'm going to go over a few different types of licensure for people who can provide therapy. You may need a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is different from a psychologist because a psychiatrist is an actual medical doctor, an MD, somebody who went to medical school but specialized in psychiatry, and they are able to dispense medication and prescriptions for medication. Psychologists come in many different shapes and forms. However, some of them that can provide therapy might be called counseling psychologists or clinical psychologists. If there are any other types of psychologists that I missed, uh, go ahead and feel free to write that down in the comment section and I'll make sure to correct it the next time I come onto the podcast. Again, psychologists cannot prescribe medication, at least here in Texas, but I am aware that there are some states that are now allowing psychologists to become 
prescribing psychologists. And that's a specialty where somebody who is not an MD or a medical doctor who is trained in psychopharmacology and psychotropic medication, and they are able to prescribe medication. From what I understand, I don't believe that's available in Texas. Um, I know that there are a couple of of those in New Mexico and in a couple of other states, but this is something that is still a little new and groundbreaking to the field. Now, general psychotherapy can be given by psychologists and by licensed professional counselors, which is what we call LPCs in Texas, or licensed mental health counselors, which is LMHCs in Texas. Somebody else who can provide therapy or psychotherapy or talk therapy, if you will, those are used interchangeably, can be LCSWs, which are licensed clinical social workers, and LMFTs, which are licensed marriage and family therapists. So these types of professionals have to go through specific training to become clinicians or psychotherapists or talk therapists. So those three are, again, used interchangeably. But the difference depends on the school that they went to, their licensing body, and the way they were trained. So for example, an LPC may have gone to a graduate program that is for mental health counseling or for guidance counseling or for community mental health counseling. And they end up uh, graduating from graduate school, which means that they have four years of university plus two years of graduate school where they get their master's degree and then they go for licensure. Licensure is a pretty rigorous and tedious process where you have to have 3,000 hours of supervised service that somebody can sign off on saying that this person completed a certain amount of hours at a certain level of training and they are now independently licensed. Now an LCSW is kind of similar except that their master's degree is not in mental health counseling or guidance counseling or community mental health counseling. Their master's degree is in social work. So the first step of licensure for an LCSW is LMSW, which is a licensed master social worker. So a licensed master social worker works for, again, 3,000 hours or so of supervised work where somebody signs off for them to practice independently, and then they become an LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker. So it's a social worker with a clinical focus, meaning that they are certified to do therapy. An LMFT sometimes may go through a graduate program, which is four years of university, plus the couple of years of graduate school, depending on how long it takes the individual but that specialty is in marriage and family therapy. So that's a more specific type of therapy. And this therapy typically is not necessarily for individuals. I mean, it can be. 
Um, I know that there are some LMFTs that see individuals, um, but they do conceptualize or see and analyze the person as a part of a system and as a part of their family. So they may just look at uh, the problem a little bit differently, but they typically can work with couples and they can work with families. When you are searching for your therapist, whether that be on Google or your insurance's website, you want to look at the letters after their first and last name. So, for example, for me, my letters are going to be Crystal Martinez Acosta, LPC, which is Licensed Professional Counselor, NCC, which is Nationally Certified Counselor. Now, a Nationally Certified Counselor earns this title by going to a KCREP accredited institution. So KCREP is an accrediting body that approves uh, graduate school programs in counseling, understanding that they have met high standards in training their graduate students to become counselors or psychotherapists. So These programs are rigorous. I came from one. I went to the one at New Mexico State University. It was a 63-credit-hour program, and I completed it in two years. And the rigor of the program is what made the standards so high. It gave us the right to call ourselves a KCREP-accredited institution. So some graduates from KCREP-accredited institutions can become NCCs right when they become licensed, meaning the National Board of Certified Counselors recognizes that these particular graduates or these psychotherapists were trained rigorously and trained well and can be trusted across the nation to provide consistent quality service to their clients. So NCC is just an extra credential showing that the therapist that you are seeing is somebody who is held to a higher standard and was really well-trained. And also later on, if somebody wanted to go and get their NCC, they can do so after, I believe, five or 10 years of practice, of independent practice. And then they can send an application to the National Board of Certified Counselors where they can apply for their own NCC. The other types of letters that you want to look for in a psychotherapist or a talk therapist can be LPC, just like we mentioned, NCC, just like I mentioned right now also, and LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker. Now, why would you want to go with a licensed clinical social worker instead of an LMSW? So an LMSW is somebody who could be in the process of getting their license and they could be getting supervised by somebody, which is um, okay. That's totally fine. Maybe they're in training to become a licensed clinical social worker. Um, In that case, what their credentials should be is LMSW supervised by an LCSWS. Now, an LCSWS is a licensed clinical social worker supervisor. And so this person can sign off and vouch for people who are in training to get their LCSWs. And it's the same for LPCs. We have to get an LPCS to sign off on our work to ensure that we can be independently licensed. Another set of letters you want to look for or after a psychotherapist's name can be LMFT. So an LMFT, again, is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And that means that they're independently licensed because it's an L and then MFT. 
Another set of letters that you can look for after a person's first and last name that can practice psychotherapy is LCDC. It stands for Licensed Chemical Dependency Counselor. So one of these LCDCs may not have gone through the whole rigor of a master's program to become a master's level counselor. I believe that LCDCs only need a minimal amount of training, and I'm not quite sure what that is, but because it is such a specialized type of therapist, they they receive a lot of training compacted into, I believe, a two-year program that has to do with chemical dependency. So depending on the issue that you're seeking therapy for, you may want to find somebody who has LCDC at the end of their name. I do know that there are some LPCs and LCSWs and LMFTs that in addition to their initial credentials, they also have LCDCs at the end of their name. Another thing you may want to consider is why you're seeking therapy. So most therapists are trained to deal with common diagnoses such as depression, anxiety, generally most people are trained for. So one thing you want to consider is your age. Now, does the psychotherapist or the talk therapist that you're seeking see adults? Do they see teenagers? Do they see children? And if so, from what age to what age? So another thing that you want to consider is do you have a history of trauma? If you have had any history of trauma, childhood sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, sudden death of a family member, a tragic death, um, experiencing a natural disaster, experiencing life in a militarized zone, anything that has been traumatic to you, um, and maybe even if it wasn't on that short list that I gave, this is something that you want to consider as well because um, there are specialized therapists for the treatment of trauma. So for example, if you do have um, issues that stem from a traumatizing event, you may want to seek somebody who is trained in trauma treatment. So for example, this could be cognitive processing therapy or exposure therapy or prolonged exposure, or trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. That one is for 7 to 17-year-olds. And another treatment that can be used for, I believe, anybody who's like 2 all the way up to 100, basically, any, any adult or child, is eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy, which is called EMDR. EMDR is a um, empirically based treatment for trauma known for its shorter course of treatment versus other types of trauma treatments. So anybody who is certified in a specific trauma therapy uh, might might be somebody who would fit for you if you have this issue. So another way to find a therapist is to look on a certain registry. So what I mean by that is, for example, if you wanted to do trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy 
and you're somebody between the ages of 7 and 17, you can go on to the tfcbt.org website and they list all of their TFCBT certified therapists. And it shows their location, their phone number, their state, and their name. So this is an interesting way and a super specific way to find a trauma therapist. I know that there are other many, many other different types of therapies that you can choose from. So something that you may want to do is do a simple search engine type of hunt or type of search. There are so many. There's CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. There's Adlerian therapy. There's Gestalt therapy. There is psychodynamic therapy. I know that that's not very popular here in this region in the Southwest, but in other states and other areas of the country, that's something that is still practiced. That's more like Freudian type of therapy. You know, there's trauma-focused therapies, there's EMDR, there's a bunch of different kinds. So I think maybe what you could do is look up maybe types of therapies. And if there's one description that fits your needs the most, then This could be something to consider and maybe looking up a person that practices this type of therapy. Thus far, we've talked about funding, affordability, insurance, proximity, type of licensure, issues and problems. And now I want to talk about fit. Uh, The fact that your therapist matches your personality. So there is a therapist for everyone out there. I believe that. I believe as a therapist, I cannot function on an island. I have to be able to refer clients to other people if that client is not comfortable with me. So for example, I tend to use a lot of humor in therapy. Sometimes I use self-disclosure when it's therapeutic and when it's appropriate. I tend to use a lot of person-centered type of statements, meaning I believe that the client has whatever they need to have within them and I try to bring that out and that's how I practice. And so some people may not like that. Maybe some people want a very direct approach or maybe somebody wants, um, I'm not sure, somebody who you know, is cut and dry and to the point and doesn't really make a lot of jokes. It just depends on how your therapist can build rapport with you. So Building rapport is a very special skill that's taught to us in graduate school, and um, there are a lot of different techniques to do that. But if you don't feel comfortable with your therapist, by all means, you should switch to another therapist. There is nothing in the book that says, oh, once you get a therapist, you've got to stick with them. That's not necessarily true. If you just feel uncomfortable, you feel awkward, maybe they said something One thing that I recommend is bringing it up to the therapist themselves. Maybe they just didn't notice that they said that. Maybe they didn't know that that's how those sets of words were going to land. And maybe they didn't realize that they could have offended you with those words. Or maybe, you know, the therapist over explains or under explains. It might be something that the therapist can adjust and they can adapt. So if after that conversation, they're not willing to adjust and adapt to your style, maybe it might be time to find another therapist. Now, there are just certain things that you shouldn't accept at all. Like there are just certain unethical behaviors that are not acceptable. For example, sexual advances 
inappropriate comments, too much self-disclosure, too much advice giving, breaking confidentiality and crossing boundaries. These things are unethical and some of them are illegal. So if any of these are occurring with your current therapist or the therapist that you seek out, you have the right to change therapists and you also have the right to make a complaint against that therapist, either with their organization, with a grievance procedure, or with the state board. So for example, here in Texas, that's Texas Board of Examiners of Professional Counselors. And so it just depends on the issue and how far you want to take it. But remember that seeking a therapist is kind of like seeking a doctor. You should find somebody who's specialized in the area. You should find somebody who's experienced. You should find somebody you feel comfortable with. And if any of these, you know, criteria don't exist, just like you can change doctors, you can also change therapists. One other last quick and really important thing that you want to consider is the language. So here in El Paso, there are a lot of people who speak Spanish and there's a lot of people who are bilingual who speak English and Spanish. And what I'd like to refer to now is the language of emotion. So what I mean by that is if you emote and show and express emotions better in a certain language, in your native language perhaps, you may want to look for somebody who speaks that language because I think that being able to express yourself and emote in a comfortable way without having to kind of translate it first uh, might be better for you. So if you mainly speak Spanish or Spanish is your native language and it's your language of emotion, you may want to consider seeking a bilingual therapist or a Spanish-speaking therapist. Always remember that whenever you look for a therapist and they list their credentials, they list their specialties, and they list their languages spoken, they should be accurate. So if a therapist claims that they are bilingual and they speak English and Spanish, and then you call their office, try to make an appointment, and they say, you know what? No, he doesn't speak Spanish. That is so illegal and so unethical. So either report them or run the other way or bring it to their attention because maybe they didn't even know that that was on their own website. So these are things that you can do to filter out the people who may be the best fit for you. I'm hoping that this guide was useful and helpful in helping you find the therapist that is right for you. So to finish this episode, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone who listened to the four-part series for Mental Health Awareness Month that helped us hashtag fight the stigma. I want to thank Clarissa. I want to thank Carlos. I want to thank Monica and Elisa for allowing themselves to be featured on this four-part series for Mental Health Awareness Month. I truly hope that you find these podcasts informational, inspirational, and helpful to you. Until next time, this is Crystal Martinez Acosta on Through the Eyes of a Therapist.